Hello, hello, and welcome, beautiful soul. Happy Thursday to you. I hope that all is well in your world and that you are thriving. I am Dr. Andrea Pennington, the host of Conscious Branding, and I'm super excited to share with you an interview today that I think is going to help a lot of people out. Now, I am typically working with doctors and healers and therapists. And since I moved into this space of building personal brands, I've met a lot of you who really struggle with charging what you're worth. So we're gonna help you deal with that. Now I know there's like psychological blocks because many of you have these gifts that you think have come from God and you're like, why should I charge money for it? It's a divine gift. And yet, if you broke, you can't, you can't even build your business. So, my dear friends, we are going to address this. I'm excited because joining me today is Jonathan Stark, and he is a former software development guy. And you're probably wondering, like, what is he doing here? Well, he is the author of a book called Hourly Billing is Nuts. He is personally on a mission to rid the world of hourly billing. It's aggressive, I know, right? But it's so, so important that I coerced him to come and address this audience. We're not a bunch of software developers per se, but we definitely feel like we could use some help switching to what we call value-based pricing. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Thank you for being with us here on the Conscious Branding Podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Obviously, a lot of service-based individuals get into the mindset that, of course, you're going to bill by the hour. Now, in your particular profession, why do you think that is absolutely nuts? Or your I mean, hourly billing, sure, sure. Uh, hourly billing to me is uh, it is on professional services of all kinds. It eats away at your value. It eats away at the trust that you could build with clients. And it applies to really anybody who, who is selling their time. I've, I mostly work sort of because that, but I also help landscape architects and photographers and uh, lawyers and accountants and really anybody who thinks that they're selling their time because we're not really selling our time. So are there any professions that you think hourly billing is totally appropriate for and others mm -hmm. that should never even go there? Developer, whatever, consultant, coach, advisor, healer, you really, sh no one wants your time. It's not what they're looking for. We think of it when our profits are cost, but no one really your cost. If you have a 20 ounce bottle of Coke, you don't really care how much it costs the Coca-Cola company to make it. It's either worth a dollar or it's not. So you're going to buy it or you're not. So if, if you're a, you know, a software developer or a healer or a doctor or whatever you are, what your clients are looking for is a result. They're not looking for your hour. I mean, it, let's say you make, let's say you're able to charge $200 an hour for some kind of a coaching session. This very same person would not pay you $200 an hour for you to wash their car. <laughs> it's not your time they want. Right. It's, it's an outcome. So I get it. Outcome. Now, somebody has already written in, I think it's Dr. Raj. She's asking, how do you mean that hourly billing erodes trust? What does that mean exactly? Well, especially in any ongoing engagement. So in a software project, it's not uncommon for it to take 
six months or 12 months or 18 months, and you might have multiple people working on it, all billing out by the hour. And if you think about that arrangement, that relationship, the person who's doing the selling makes more money if it takes more time. Right. And the person who's doing the buying loses more money if it takes more time. So it automatically, inherently sets up a misalignment of financial incentives. So even if the seller is the most upstanding moral citizen and tries to really do everything as fast as possible, there's this potential for a trust fracture where the client is like, I don't know, are they really going as fast as they can? It's like this thing they did last week only took two hours and this week it took four hours. What's going on here? And what ends up happening is the buyer, especially the longer the project is, the worse it gets. So eventually what tends to happen is for a variety of reasons that stem from hourly billing, the project starts to take longer than it should. Mm -hmm. it, there's scope creep, uh, uh, outcomes aren't being achieved, it goes longer than expected and therefore costs more than expected. And at some point, the project can exceed the amount of money that the client would have ever agreed to pay for it. And at that point, they become, understandably, a micromanaging you know, monster. We call it a client from hell. But, <laughs> but they should yeah. because you've demonstrated that you can't control the scope. You can't control the cost. So now they're terrified that there could be no end in sight. And there's just this leak in their bank account. Anyway, the, the whole the point is that the misalignment of financial incentives implies that there's not a partnership here. It puts people on opposite sides of the table instead of the same side of the table. Where if, if you give somebody a price, this is the price. Yeah. It's going to be $50,000. That is it. And we're going to achieve these outcomes for you. These are the outcomes you want. They're worth $50,000 to you. And we're going to do it even if it takes us twice as long as we think. So it puts you, it puts you, your skin in the game, so to speak, where, you know, it's on you to finish as quickly as possible. And the client wants you to finish as quickly as possible. So now your financial interests are aligned. And in, in other service-based industries, in your book, you say that it actually gives us the incentive to get better. So we can mm -hmm. level up our skills because if we get a job done faster, but it's still as valuable, we can charge what it's worth and still have even more time such that we could Precisely. scale. Now, exactly. how would that transfer over? So if we, I know we have some folks listening who mm -hmm. are typically thinking, okay, I'm going to work with a coaching client. It's probably going to take X number of sessions, let's say eight sessions over a couple of months. And mm -hmm. they're thinking about, okay, well, what is my time worth? Maybe I want to make 50 or 100 bucks an hour. Mm -hmm. Why would that be the wrong way to, to, to bill out? It's suboptimal. You know, because there's so many reasons. I'll, I'll start with this one. Okay. So you set up an arrangement like that. It's fairly common, maybe not in your industry, but it's fairly common to just get started mm. without, without defining and agreeing to a desired outcome. What are we trying to accomplish here? So if you imagine a situation where somebody says, hey, you came highly recommended my friend said you changed her life, but didn't, doesn't specifically say how. Just my friend said you changed uh, her life. I want to work with you. What's your hourly rate? And you say $50 an hour. And they say that seems reasonable. And you set up a recurring meeting and you, know, and you start your coaching. You've never discussed what the person's trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. 
this new client might want something different than your old client or this new client, if you talk to them and decide, you know, talked about exactly what goals they were trying to achieve or what they were trying to change, what transformation they wanted, you might not have the confidence that you could help this particular person. Mm -hmm. But in an hourly model or per session model or however you would call it, you, you don't necessarily figure that out first. If you are already figuring that out, if you are already figuring that out, so whoever's listening might be saying, no, 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 I have a diagnostic session with them first and I decide if they'd be a good client and I decide if I have any confidence that I can help them with this transformation. Well, if you're doing that already, you could just say, okay, what's this transformation that you're looking for? And you guys, you and the client come to an agreement about what it is. Then you could say, all right, I, I'm highly confident that I can do that. It'll cost $10,000 and here's what we're going to do. It should take, you know, it won't take any less than three months, but I don't think it'll take longer than six months. And they can decide if that, you know, how much they trust you, how much they believe that the transformation is real or, or you can help them make it. And then they'll decide if it's worth it. I like that. So I like the idea for me personally. I mean, it doesn't really always work in healthcare to like give milestones and say, these are the specific things we're going to achieve because right. in health, you know, it's a two way street. If I, I can put someone on a diet, but if they don't eat and they don't exercise, I can't guarantee them a, a you know, certain number of pounds of weight loss. But in the, in the coaching world, there are some metrics we can use mm -hmm. in the example you've given, but let's also talk about value because mm -hmm. for, for some people, the work that we do as healers or coaches, there is something tangible. Of course, we can eliminate pain. We can get you off of your high blood pressure meds. But for some of the things that we're doing, it's, it's intangible. It's like, I'm going to help you build confidence. Yep. Is that something that could work with value-based pricing? Sure. I don't, I don't know if I would use value-based pricing for that, but you can. So if you, there's another thing called productized services, which takes your time out of the equation and just promises a, a fixed scope of engagement. So that's, which isn't really what we're here to talk about, but you can, to get back to your question, you can do that. So you could say, um, you know, if you're going to have a conversation with a person who had confidence problems, you could say, well, how do you know you have a confidence problem? What, what is the, how do you know that? Mm -hmm. And they would say, well, well, what you tell me, what would they say? Uh, I see where you're going with this. Um, well, I have a confidence problem because I can't go and ask that hot person out on a date. I'm just scared they're going to shoot me down. Okay. So if we got to a point within three months where you felt comfortable approaching that hot person, would that be, you know, and then I wouldn't do it this bluntly, but <laughs> what's that worth to you? Mm. You know, and the value that that is worth to each different person is different yeah. because value, value is not based on your time. That's your cost. The value is based on what it means to the particular person to be able to go up to that hot guy or gal. And, and so here's, what's interesting. If your potential client is extremely wealthy or extremely poor, that is going to affect what it's worth to them because they're buying, there's a, ma a maximum price formula and one of the factors in the max price formula is the buying power. Mm. So if you, if you wanted to have a value-based practice and you wanted to help, you know, make the maximum amount of money and you're just really going to be, you know, I want to be rich, then hang out with rich people and sell your confidence building service and you're going to be able to charge a lot more money. I'm not recommending that, but that would work. 
Yeah, I kind of look at that as leverage. So, for example, in, in my business, yes. one of my businesses in personal branding, I have uh, the, the, the Global Luminary Academy, which will help people come in, work on their brand, their TED Talk, their books, all of that sort of stuff, and then get it out to a global marketplace. But if they don't have the, the know-how or the savvy or they don't even have um, a, a product that they're going to offer after doing all mm -hmm. of those things, paying my high fee is not going to give them the return on investment. Like They can't really leverage my expertise to, to get the value that some other people would. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. So you, there's two things you can do in that situation. If you're attracting a lot of people who really aren't ready for your top-tier service, you can have something that's more in line with the value proposition that they're facing. So it's probably a book or a course or something, you know, in the somewhere from the 20 to $500 range. And they're just not ready yet. They're, they haven't gotten to that stage, but you could still package up your expertise in another way that's very low touch for you to deliver like a digital product. And they can get that, they can buy that and they can get value out of that. And then if it works, they're going to be closer and closer to the, uh, you know, to being in a position to benefit from your expensive thing. Yeah, that's exactly what I ended up doing. So, <laughs> so we've got a question here. What if mm -hmm. you don't have a reputation yet? In that mm -hmm. case, should you first start out with hourly and then transition over? Or would that blow up in your face? Okay, that's a really good question. So, so there's actually two questions there. One is about reputation. And the question asker is right. The bigger and better your reputation is, the more trust people are going to have in you, the more, the more people are going to know about you, the more awareness there's going to be. And it makes it easier to you know, have like a, a quicker sales cycle to attract more clients, to attract um, whatever you define to be a better client, whatever that is for you. So yeah, that's a big deal. And when you have a brand, brand is going to make people trust you or the brand is people trusting you. So they're automatically going to feel that your claims are credible and they're going to be more willing to, well, well, whatever you're selling is going to be more valuable to them than it would be if they didn't trust you, even though it's the exact same thing, even if it was a book. So the reputation is important. You need to be building your reputation if you want to, you know, if you're a soloist, you're some sort of independent, not having a reputation is, is going to hold you back. You need to be the go-to person in your niche for a particular thing, a worldwide expert on this particular thing and the easiest way to do that is to go super super niche into like us you want to be a big fish in a small pond and you'd be people are routinely shocked when you look at numbers of like how many people raise uh, i don't know thoroughbred horses and it would seem that that would be impossibly small of a market to approach but there's actually loads of people way more clients than you could ever handle that raise thoroughbred horses so People generally think, oh, no, I, wanna, I don't want to push away any opportunity. I want to take the biggest possible net and cast it into the entire ocean, and it just doesn't work. I know it's par it seems like a paradox, but the smaller your focus is, the bigger it gets, the bigger your niche gets. It's, it, I've seen it over and over and over. Yeah, I have too. I so that's the first half of the Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, yeah. So the first half of the question was about reputation. Yes, you need to be building reputation. You, you want to be famous in a tiny area or a big area, but start with a tiny area. And then the other question is, if I start with hourly billing, will it blow up in my face later? Not necessarily, but if you're just starting out, I would say 
it's the best time to to start with fixed pricing, whether it's value-based or productized services or products. It's the best time because if you do, it won't blow up in your face, but you will have to undo all of the thinking. So you're kind of just delaying the inevitable. So I would, but to the, to the question asker's point, it's a lot easier to do hourly billing. People understand it. It's simple, but it's a trap. So, you know, if you want to flirt with the trap, I wouldn't blame you, Yeah. but it's, you're going to have to undo it. It won't damage your reputation or anything like that. It's not, it's not something you can't undo, but you will eventually want to undo it if you stay in the business. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. And so what would it look like? Um, I'll give you an example. When I talk to some of the health coaches that I work with, they can tell me very specifically all of the outcomes that they deliver. So for mm -hmm. example, we'll just take chronic pain for an example. Anyone who's ever had sciatica or whiplash or anything where they're stuck on the couch, they have typically gone to chiropractors, acupuncturists, they've tried gel, they've tried heat, they've tried swimming, they've tried laying still, they've tried narcotics. Like they've tried so many things, including mm -hmm. multiple healthcare practitioners, that by the time they get to some of these complementary or, you know, other energy type of healers, they're out right. of money. And so my people yeah. say, well, Andrea, I can't charge 50 or 100 or I couldn't even say 200 bucks because they don't right. have that money. Yet, if you really thought about it, the majority of people, when they really want to get out of pain, if they knew that you could absolutely do it, they would scrape up that 100 or 150. And if they, I, if they yeah. like looked at all that they've spent to, to come up with the value-based pricing, if, if you think of your average client who has spent, say, 3,000 bucks in all of the diagnostics and treatments and homeopathy and on and on and on, Sure. That to me is, is how I would kind of look at the value of saying, if I give you six treatments, let's say, based on mm -hmm. my, my reputation and what I know I can do, that to me would be worth that three grand. But how would you mm -hmm. look at it from a, a practitioner standpoint? Yeah, so the health space is sort of a third rail for value pricing because it, it gets scary in terms of like, it's almost extortion. You're not you're not threatening them with yeah. bodily harm, but it's kind of like you're withholding pain relief. So to me, it's a touchy area. Uh, at the same time, you do need to fund your mission. So if you're on a mission to, you know, uh, I don't know, spread energy healing across the world and sort of scientifically prove that it works and have like all these, you know, you need to fund that mission. If you don't have money, that's like running out of oxygen for a person. Business needs money. It's not the point of the business, but it does need enough money to, for the car to keep going. It's like gasoline for a car or air for a person. It needs to be there. It's not the point, but it does need to be there. So to your specific situation, this happens in the software space pretty commonly too, where somebody hires a really bad developer who bills them by the hour. The project goes double over budget. Now they're completely broken. They have nothing to show for it. Mm. In the software space, I feel a lot less bad about not taking that client. If this is someone trapped on the couch with sciatica, I'd feel more bad. So, you know, everybody's going to thread this needle the way that they feel comfortable. But you could certainly say something like, if I could guarantee that you will be doing jumping jacks in six months, would that be worth $1,000? And they will probably scrape up the money 
And if you can't do it, you give them the money back. So you need to be really sure you can do it, which is going to mean probably meeting with them first, asking them some questions and doing some diagnostic of your, to give yourself the confidence that your claims are going to be valid. And if you put your money where your mouth is, you can charge a lot more money than you normally would because it takes the risk away from the buyer. And what ends up happening is you'll end up with happy clients. You'll have, no one will feel cheated because they, if you actually failed, they get their money back. They'll be disappointed, but at least they got their money back. So they'll tell a good story about you. She kept her word. Yeah. But if you if you if you have to keep giving people their money back, you're going to get way better at that diagnostic, and you're going to get way pickier. You're going to get way more realistic about your actual results that you deliver, and you're going to get better at delivering better results if you are financially penalized when you don't do it. Now there's some compliance. You know, you got to decide what you're going to guarantee because yeah. if the patient doesn't comply. You know, you can lead a horse to water, but, you know, there's you got to figure that out for yourself. And with developers or with marketers or with photographers, there's a similar problem here because they are upstream from any outcome usually or the, the final outcome. So if you're a marketer and you say, you know, yeah, I could I could redo your entire website. I could do your marketing calendar over again. But why would you pay me a million bucks to do that? when it's not going to directly translate into any sales. Mm -hmm. I can't affect your sales. You could screw up your sales a hundred ways from Sunday, even if my marketing is flawless. And they would say, well, no, you know, we believe that if you could increase, let's just pick, the, in, if you could double the traffic to our website, we're, we're confident that we can take it from there and our conversion rates down the funnel would be great. And it, your piece, your contribution will lead to this outcome that we really want. So it's not that they want marketing, they want more revenue, right. but they believe in the buyer's mind, they believe that their marketing is bad and they need an expert like you to fix it. And they believe that that will translate into this final outcome. So as the marketer, you can say, well, what, why do you, why do you think that's going to, where's the connection there for you? In your mind, how are those things connected? And they'll tell you what they think the outcome of your contribution should be, double the traffic to the website or something like that. And then you can say to yourself, based on the current state of the website, do I believe, do I believe that I could actually do that? Can I hold up my end of the bargain? And if so, I can set a price for it. So you can guarantee your piece, which might be for, you know, in the sciatica case, it might be you can guarantee that you will, um, uh, I don't know, I don't know what it would be, but some sort of like your piece, the coach's piece, you will show up on time, you will be ready, you will, you know, you could take a, uh, drill sergeant approach and say, I will kick you off of that couch and make you do your exercises. Or you could take some other approach that's a little bit more, uh, you know, a softer approach. And you can guarantee that that person will have the tools they need, will have the accountability they need, will have the, you know, so on and so forth, the piece that you can guarantee. And if they still drop the ball, then you need to get pickier or you need to get more persuasive or something. But if you're going to lose that money if you are less effective, you're going to get more effective. Yeah. Well, what I like about your approach is for people, especially if they're starting out, your approach is inviting a dialogue. It's not like I'm just yes. going to set my prices, stick it on the website, and you either buy or you don't. It's like, let's find out if this is the right relationship, if we have the skills that each of us need to actually get that result, and then take it from there. And, and speaking of conversations, I love that it, you actually – create scripts for people, <laughs> yeah. like email scripts, like this is how you should pitch something. 
So do you have particular advice? Like if someone were saying, okay, I've got someone on the line who, who wants to hire me potentially as a coach to mm-hmm. help them increase their confidence or their relationship skills. Mm-hmm. How would you word it so that some of the people who are in that situation, they could like hear the words? What would be the words they would say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So overall, before I get to the actual words, overall, you want to take a stance that it's an interview. It's a two-way interview. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, when especially if they're not getting a lot of leads, when a lead comes along, they feel like the need to pitch or convince or persuade, or they really don't want to let this opportunity go because they don't know when the next one is coming. Yeah, there's desperation. Desperation. It's exactly, it smells like desperation. And it, it, it's bad for building trust, is bad. So step one is to not have that. And that's a big ask. So that means not needing every single lead that comes through the door. There's a bunch of ways to do that. One is to have some savings, to budget, to have some kind of runway, to have a ton of leads coming in so that you aren't worried about any particular one not being a good fit. But you need to get comfortable or at least pretend, fake it till you make it, that you don't need this client. And what that'll allow you to do is be a better provider because you're not going to be taking in people that are red flags that, you know, deep down in your subconscious, you're like, I don't think I can help this person. Mm-hmm. This person's not in the right headspace at the moment. Or I, I really need this money. I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent. But this person's really not ready for this top tier service. You know, I don't think anybody is thinking that consciously, but I know it happens subconsciously. So the first thing is to get out of that desperation somehow. I don't care if it means working at Starbucks 20 hours a week. You need to not need any particular job. So once you've got that mindset, you can really sit down and have what I call the why conversation with someone where you have this, you're interviewing them to see if they'd be a good client for you and they're interviewing you to see if you'd be a good fit for them. It's two way and you both need to agree that yes, it's a good fit. And the way to get to your question about the lines, you have what I call the why conversation. Mm. So something has led them to believe that you are a solution to some problem that they have. Otherwise, they would not be spending time talking to you. So there's something there. You want to uncover exactly what it is in their words. You can guess all day long, but you're going to guess the wrong thing. So you sit there and you say, yes, these three kinds of why questions. Why this? Why now? And why me? And the the why this questions are, you know, you, you listed before like a half a dozen things that someone could do for back pain. Why, why would you be coming to someone like me? Have you tried physical therapy? Have you tried narcotics? Have you tried traditional medicine? Have you tried chiropractic? And they're going to answer all those things. Maybe they'll say yes. Maybe they'll say no. Maybe they'll say, I, re- I ruled that out. I don't believe in acupuncture, whatever they say. And you'll, and you'll come to a point where you believe that someone, that this thing that they want done, whatever course of therapy it is that you provide, you'll come to a point where you are confident that it, it is the right thing for them. So they've self-diagnosed a possible solution and you now agree that they diagnose the right thing or they prescribe the right thing. So, okay, they're in the right ballpark. Then the next thing is, why now? Why don't you put this off? Is this really that urgent? What, why don't we wait until after the holidays? Why do this now? You, you want to find out if it's urgent. And the more urgent it is, the more valuable it's going to be to them to get it done quickly and effectively. 
And the last thing, and this is usually the hardest for people, especially if they initiated the conversation, you know, like outreach or whatever, is why me? Mm. Why would you hire someone like me to do this? You know it's expensive. Your, Your friend that introduced us said it was expensive. Or this office that I'm sitting in is obviously expensive. Or this outfit that I'm wearing is obviously expensive. Or this diamond ring or whatever. Like, this is going to be expensive. You know it's going to be expensive. Why would you spend all this money on someone expensive like me when you could do any of these other things? And you list out all the other things that they could do. Or cheaper alternatives to someone like you. You know, why don't you just hire someone who's just out of chiropractic school? Or why don't you just, why don't you hire someone that just started their practice? And they'll tell you. And if if the answer, if they have an answer, like, oh, that's a great idea, I should get someone cheaper, then good, they're not a good fit for you. So, if but if you can't talk them out of hiring you, and they do believe that no, this is it, I this is the beginning of my retirement. I've got a bunch of money. I don't want to go into my retirement like trapped on the couch like this. I can't see my grandkids. I I'm willing to invest almost anything in this. And you're the person, you're the person I trust. That's where brand comes in. You are the one. So, all right. So what, and at this point you're going to have, after having this conversation, the stuff that a lot of people would normally ask about in my space, it's called scope. I don't know what it's called in your space, but it's like the stuff you have to do, mm. whatever the activities are at this point, that's all going to be known. It's going to have come out automatically and you don't even need to ask about it. And you can be like, all right, here's what I think it's going to be. You know, basically, I think it's going to take three months. I think it's going to take six months. I think I can have this done in a weekend or whatever the case may be. I don't know if you'd give proposals or I don't know if that's normal in my space to give a proposal, a written proposal with options in it to say, okay, here are three ways we can tackle this problem. But you're going to know, clear as a bell, what outcome that they are looking for. You're going to believe that you can help and that you're probably the best person for the job. And you're going to have a sense of what it's worth to this particular person. Mm. It's going to be worth different things to different people. But you're going to know from conversation that it's worth roughly $10,000 to this person or or $500. Or maybe it's only worth $50 to this person, which maybe that's not a good fit. And they can buy your book or they can go to someone else. But you're going to know after this why conversation, uh, you know, the answers to all these questions. And if you do put together some kind of a proposal with three different ways that you could engage, maybe, you know, this feels more like a coaching thing than a medical thing, but it could be, um, you'd have, okay, here are three options. This, this one would be a thousand dollars. This one will be $2,200 and this one will be $5,000. And you can just pick the one that you think is the best fit. The most expensive one is going to be more effective. The least expensive one is going to be less, less, uh, less effective, maybe less accountability or fewer meetings or whatever. I, I, I love all of those, those three whys. And I think it, it is critical because you're getting that person to convince themselves, as you said, and there's this sense of engagement up front. And one of the things that I think is really interesting about this conversation is the resistance that it brings up uh, in people. One, we've definitely talked about the desperation thing, because I do know that certainly a lot of people who are transitioning from like a traditional medical practice and now they're more of like a health coach, there's this major resistance that comes up um, and this fear. So we're, we can deal with, it, with some of that desperation. And I agree, sometimes you're going to have to fake it till you make it. Um, but we've got another question from Raj, and I don't know if this is outside of the scope of what you could answer, but here's what she says. I love this idea. But as a doctor, we have taken an oath to help everyone who comes our way. 
any ideas on how to reconcile this? Sure. So I get people all, all the time from, you know, uh, appropriate term is, but these where a lot less money than states. And I give, you know, I have loads of free options for people who have no budget. Loads. Really good stuff. I give away everything. Look, this is free. Everything that I do on podcasts and my yeah. mailing. I have a daily mailing list. I write every single day yeah. that is free and people can ask questions and I will answer them. So there are all sorts of free options. You you can do tons of stuff for free. I think, you know, we talked about building a brand and building awareness in a, in a niche. Share, share, share. Don't worry about people stealing your stuff. People don't do that. And it's really rare that they ever do. And even if they do, they'll never catch up with you. Just don't worry about it. Share everything. Give it all away for free, but in a way that doesn't that allows you to continue to fund your mission. You have to fund your mission or you can't keep going. So you have to have, you know, if you're sharing for free every day with 10,000 people on a mailing list, 1% a, a of those people are going to be like, I want the $10,000 coaching or I want the $500 phone call or I want the $150 monthly group coaching. There, there are going to be people there who will allow you, you sort of like uh, package up your expertise in a bunch of different ways that are more leveraged or less leveraged, and you charge accordingly for those things at the very top of your product ladder, I call it. And you give away all this other stuff for free, mailing lists, webinars, podcast guests, uh, podcast tours, hosting your own podcast, hosting a, an Ask Me Anything webinar, and if somebody comes along and they can't, they just can't afford these things that you can't afford to give away for free, you can't afford to give away one-on-one -on -one coaching for six months for free, at least not a lot of it. Yeah. So you, you just can't keep going. So the net, if you think about it in the, in the bigger picture, if you, to the person's question, it's a totally fair question. I took an oath to make people's lives better. Yes. And you're not going to be able to keep that oath if you go out of business. You need that oxygen to keep going. So don't think about it like uh, profiteering. You need to fund your mission. So you can have 10,000 people on a mailing list and you can help 99.9% .9 of those people for free over email on a daily basis and charge money to the half a percentage point that can afford to pay and that will keep you going. And you just, as you extend your product ladder, so you've got more books, you've got more books, you've got more courses, you've got more of these leveraged offerings, you've got these membership communities where somebody can get in for $50 and actually get benefit that they can afford. You just package your expertise at every price point from free to premium and people will, people will self-select. They'll pick the ones that are right for them. Yeah, that's definitely been my experience. Um, when I stopped doing clinical medical work, I switched mm -hmm. over to give all my knowledge away for free. So mm -hmm. being online, doing lives and webinars and most of my books, you can get <laughs> a lot of it like totally free or we, we sell them for $1.99 on Kindle. And of course, if someone is really in a desperate situation and they send me a message, if I have that time and that energy and availability, I may do something uh, on a, lo right. a lower basis. But I put out so much content and I also, like you, you mentioned, I host a, an Ask Me Anything with guided meditation and other stuff <laughs> the second Tuesday of every month for all the people in our self-love movement. 
totally free. There's no pitching. It's just a complete love fest. So I do right. think that there are ways that if we are committed to being of service, we can use the, the tech that we have and the time that we have. But I agree with you. We've got to be able to pay the bills, you know, paying for things like Wi-Fi and, and a better phone <laughs> right. so that you can deliver yeah. really good you know, videos and so on. So I love all of that. Um, well, thank you for, for spending some time with us. I know this is a, probably a different kind of conversation than your typical podcast. And tell us more about what you've got. So you mentioned that you do get, you give out these daily emails. I'm on that list mm -hmm. and I get them. And they're sometimes short. They're these little vignettes and, and case studies that help me like expand my thinking. But you've also got your collection of essays and the audiobook. And I know that some of the, the folks here downloaded your audiobook when you first launched it uh, oh, a few good. weeks ago. <laughs> cool. So what else, yeah, so, what else is on offer? I mean, the best place to, to go if you're interested in this subject is to valuepricingbootcamp.com. And uh, you'll get a six-day free email course. And they all come from my personal email. You can reply to any one of the messages if you have questions about any one of the topics. I go into in depth into six different topics that we sort of skimmed across here. And yeah, just reply to that and you'll get me. You know, I, I reply uh, to either either directly to everybody or if I get a lot of the same question, I'll just do a one big email to the whole list about like whatever the common question is. But yeah, I read every single email. I reply to as many as I can, usually all of them. And uh, I'd love to connect with people here. It's fun to talk about these concepts in a space that's foreign to me. It's very, um, yeah, it feels very uh, like a growth thing. That's good. That's good. You look at it as a challenge to grow. Right. Well, thank you. And we've gotten some thanks from the people in the community who are watching as well. Thank you so much, Jonathan. So My pleasure. You can visit jonathanstark.com, sign up for the free email sequences, the boot camp, or get yourself a copy of Hourly Billing is Nuts. And he gives so many in-depth uh, case examples, if you will, of how you could actually make this work in your mind. It may be that it takes a little bit of time, but I know yeah, that <laughs> for, for most of us, it's worth it. It's worth it because you will then be able to show up and deliver so much more open-heartedly. I know for me, what I found when I started working toward value-based pricing is that scope creep that you talk about for us as, right. as health professionals, that looks like emails and, and faxing in the olden days when we used to fax like prescriptions or calling the pharmacy. And then they're saying, oh, but I'm having this symptom. So there's all this in between emailing and stuff that mm -hmm. if you're billing by the hour, there are many other hours that you're actually working for your clients. And what can happen is resentment sets in. You yes. get that one client that you're like, oh my God, why did I take them on? Or you start really feeling resentment. And as a healthcare provider, that is like the last thing that you want to feel. You want to feel mm -hmm. open-hearted, generous, and compassionate so that you can deliver your best. So thank you for yeah, great, having, great this, point. having this conversation. It, my pleasure, really. So there you have it, my friends. You have heard from the guru of value-based pricing, go ahead and get yourself a copy of the book and yeah, let us know how it goes for you. Like ultimately we want you to succeed because the more that you are feeling that prosperity, if you give from your overflow, you can be generous. And as long as your business is prospering, then you can start to offer scholarships 
for those people who really, really need it. All right, my friend? So please take this to heart. Do know that, as always, I believe that you are a gift to the world. So share your presence with passion. Much love, everyone. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Conscious Branding Podcast with Dr. Andrea Pennington. You can listen to us on all of your favorite podcast apps. So please do subscribe, rate, and review our podcast so more people can find us. I'd like to introduce you to the Authentic Personal Branding Bootcamp, a 10-day online video course with live coaching and support from me, where you can clarify your brand identity. Have you ever tried to hire someone to create your website, brochures, flyers, business cards, stuff like that, only to find that they tried to shove you into some little template that didn't really represent your energy, your vibe, or your essence? Well, I want you to be able to communicate who you are, what makes you unique, so that then you can share that with a designer who can really see you and understand you. So I'm gonna help you create your style book so that you have all the colors and the fonts and the imagery that really represent you. Then you can have materials created that most reflect your vibe and personality. I look forward to seeing you during this 10-day bootcamp in which you get access to all of the videos and all of the training modules and worksheets for life. So you can do this process over and over again every time you have a product launch or every time you have a book to promote. Plus, we have three live Q&A sessions during the bootcamp kickstart. And during the special bootcamp, you have me right there to give you laser coaching on the hot seat for feedback and support. So if you are ready to build your authentic personal brand with confidence and peace of mind, based on the authentic, real you, your strengths, your values, your passions, and your talents, then join me for the Authentic Personal Branding Bootcamp. I'll see you there.